Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. morning. I don't know if you grew up in the church taking communion on a regular basis or if today was the first time you um, witnessed it, saw it, and you don't fully understand the significance of the elements. I want to encourage you, if there's ever anything that happens in the church which you suspect you don't fully understand, uh, we try to do our best to explain things, but I want to encourage you, if you're ever confused in church, Find someone sitting around you and go, hey, can you tell me what that's about? And invite others, because I think sometimes we feel like we're supposed to know. And the truth is, for years I took communion in church, I had no idea what it was. At first I thought it was just really a ghetto snack. And, you know, but I began to understand its significance and meaning. And... I really encourage you, anytime anything ever happens in church, which you need more enlightenment, reach out to people. I, th- I think Pastor Jared did a great job leading us. Um, if you grew up in the church, you understood all of that. But again, there may be still more that needs to be unpacked for you. Don't be shy. Ask someone. All right. I want to um, show this first slide here. I don't know if it will pop up here. But usually... It's become our tradition that on the Sunday before Christmas Sunday, we give you a snapshot of where we are as a church, and then we um, try to cast a picture of where God is taking us spiritually. Now, we can't know that for sure. I mean, no one can know exactly 100% what's on the heart of God, but as I enter this time of year, there is a posture of really listening to God. What is on your heart for our church spiritually? And then we are asking as leaders to burden us. And I ask this genuinely of God, burden me so that I am deeply weighed down by the thing that's weighing you down and that you want to say to the church to set direction for the following year. And I believe he's been faithful to do that this year. And I want to start with just walking you through what the year of 2018 has been like at Harvest so far. And it's going to be a little bit by the numbers because I think that's one of the most objective and quick ways to, to showcase what has happened in this past year. I want to talk first about um, attendance. I don't know what happened there. That's okay. Anyway, um, Sunday attendance, on average, we have seen 153 adults and 30 youth So this gathering here, this group, is about 183 people on a given Sunday. Oh, okay, there it goes. And then we've seen about 110 kids on average in our seeds ministry and an average of seven infants, although some days it sounds like more than seven. And uh, that comes out to about 117 kids. So if you could do the math, our average Sunday attendance, all human beings, is an even 300. That's kind of a cool number. Right there on the nose, 300 people. And over the last year, we've seen 112 distinct visitors come through the doors of our church. 
I think those are, are pretty encouraging numbers, and we're grateful for the commitment that our people show to be here. Not necessarily at 10 a.m. sharp, but still, to be here is a wonderful, wonderful commitment. I want to look at giving for the past year. And our year-to-date giving, including last week's very large offering, was 689256 just shy of 690000 I want you to think about that as being um, a voluntary offering of gratitude to God. And what a staggering number that is for the number of people here. And that's really an encouraging thing. Every year for 23 years now, we have finished the year in the black. We have met our budget goals. Our church has been extremely consistent and faithful and generous in giving. This year, our budget goal, and by the way, that, that figure, that's an average per human being at our church, including infants. If we divide it by 300 people, that's an average of about $2,300 per human being per year at our church. That's a pretty um, encouraging number. Our budget goal, by, and I keep forgetting slides here, um, the average U.S. per capita giving in churches in America is about $1,350. So that's just a frame of reference. I think that's encouraging news for the generosity and commitment financially of our church members. Our 2018 budget goal is $833,000. And so right now with three Sundays left, including today, we're staring down the barrel of a gap of $143,852. That sounds like a lot, but we've been there before, and I've seen God do some pretty remarkable things through this church. And so uh, there isn't fear, there isn't worry. God is taking care of this church consistently and faithfully. What I'm going to ask of you, especially if you are uh, an inducted um, covenant member of our church, is make sure as the year draws to a close that you, you look over, and we've given out some recent giving statements. We want to just ask you, look over your giving for the last year and make sure that what has actually happened lines up well with what your commitment is in your heart. There's no pressure to give, no guilt to give, but we want to make sure we give you a chance to reflect, does my year's giving reflect what I intended to do, what we intended to do this year? And if there is a gap between what you had hoped to do and what you have done, we want to ask you to make that adjustment as the year draws to a close. We've hit a deficit or gap like this before in December, and I thought as a younger pastor back then, that's impossible, and God proved me wrong. It's a really amazing thing. So with with that delta, I think God can still do something. Our building fund saw contributions of just over $93,000 this year, bringing the total in our war chest for the building fund to around $341,000. That's also a very encouraging number. We know that when we do a build-out, when we do uh, renovations, no bank in America will loan a church money to do rebuild, remodeling and build-outs. So all that has to be raised in cash. So we are well on our way, but still shy of the goal we're going to need to outfit a building for our needs. So there's still distance there, but it's really encouraging to see where we are, even before the capital campaign is blown out in full swing and, and formally launched. So I just want to encourage you with those numbers. Here's what serving looked like in 2018. We had 200, and that's kind of an amazing number to me because our average attendance is 183. 
<clears throat> so I don't know if we have ghosts, volunteers or something, but th- that tells me that a lot of people are part of this church, but not everyone makes it out every Sunday. That's just normal math in a church. So we're not padding the numbers, but this is a staggering number. 209 people among um, children, youth, and adults served the church in some way, and that's the breakdown, 172 adults, 37 youth. That's an amazing number. Total number of ministry teams is 20. So we've had, excluding the staff, which we don't count as a ministry team because they're compensated. So this is just our J-O-B. You know? But for those who are serving on a voluntary basis, they serve on 20 existing teams. And this year, we formed four new teams involving 25 people. So that's really encouraging to see more and more people finding ways to serve Christ in the church. And to give you a sense of how encouraging those numbers are, the average U.S. Um, percentage of people, youth and adults in the church who serve, is 43%. I think we're at 110% or something like that. So uh, really encouraging numbers. I want to just encourage you about that. Some other key figures. I just lost it. Did I do something bad? No? We're good? Okay. Um, some other key figures. Six people were brought through ESL. And that's not English as a second language. I mean, it is, but it's not what we... What we call ESL is something called exploring spiritual leadership. At our church, when someone recognizes in another person, when a leader sees that another person has leadership potential and senses God may be inviting them into a leadership role, that current leader invites that would-be leader into a thing called exploring spiritual leadership. It's a three-session curriculum where the current leader walks that person through, what do you think spiritual leadership is about? Do you sense God is calling you into it? How will it impact and change your life if you take that step of faith and stick your neck out and decide to lead in a church? What will that do to your life? And so it's a really life-giving, fun, exciting time, and a lot of people really come out of it encouraged, having grown spiritually through the very process. And so after that, then often what follows is a formal invitation to take on a leadership role. If someone invites you to do ESL, don't be offended that you speak with an accent or something. What they're saying is, do you want to explore what it would mean here at Harvest to be a spiritual leader? And I think in this coming year, a greater number of people in this church are going to be asked that question, given that invitation. Seven new members were inducted. And I want to just shine a light on what membership means at Harvest. We don't have a secret handshake, and you don't get a discount on anything for being a member. To be a member at our church is about um, a sense of belonging, ownership, responsibility. It's, it's about saying, this is not a house where I'm a guest, but where I'm the host. And I want to say publicly, this is my church family with all the attendant responsibilities and obligations to one another that come with that. And so when new people are inducted as members, that is a measure of the health and strength of our congregation. We're really joyful about that. Seven children were dedicated. At our church, we don't do child baptism, but we do child dedication. Uh, We don't look down our noses at you if you choose to have your children baptized. Unfortunately, um, we don't help with that, but we encourage you, if that's your conviction, 
to find a church that will help you with that. We dedicate our children to the Lord, meaning our, we have a commitment among the parents and all others here that we will watch out for and set an example for and speak and live out the gospel in front of that child for all the years that they are growing up in our church so that the parents are not left to raise the child in the Lord alone, but we do it together. And for the parents to acknowledge, I don't own this child. This child is not my second chance at the perfect life. They belong to God, and he has a plan for them. My job is to raise them and release them to God who created them. Does that make sense? And so it's a joy whenever we see parents taking the step of faith to dedicate their children to the Lord. And we had six people baptized. People who said, I want publicly to declare that Jesus is my Savior, and I want to walk in newness of life from this day forward, knowing out in public I've declared I have a Savior, and his name is Jesus. This past year we had our second annual Harvest Fest. How many of you were part of Harvest Fest this year? Yeah, it was an awesome event. I, I, you know, I really looked forward to it this year because last year I was surprised by how much I enjoyed it. I, you know, normally I think like a whole thing full of people and chaos, it's going to be like so much stress, but it was so good last year. And this year, I think God really exceeded expectations. We had 104 people serve in some capacity at the event, and we saw about 500 people come through our doors and participate. It was a really good turnout. And if you, if you take the assumption that we have, on average, 300 people coming to our church, we estimate that around 200 people were invited guests who came because you invited them. Friends, neighbors, relatives, people in the community who saw a flyer or a poster and just came in. And one of the things I really loved about this year um, was that we clearly had a greater emphasis on reaching out to the community, on serving people who have real needs. And some people wondered, can we accomplish both things? Can our kids and our families have a really good time, and can we serve the community around us and accomplish both of those things in the same event? Now, I'm not sure why that would be confusing, but I, I get where there might be a tension. What's the focus This year, we accomplished both, and what I found is the joy was magnified because we weren't just having fun, but we were loving others in the name of Jesus. And I think we discovered as a congregation that we really are good at this and enjoy serving the Lord by serving others. And so I'm really, really encouraged that from now on, Harvest Fest is going to be exactly about that, and it signals something that I think is happening in our congregation that our yearning to be an impact in the world around us is growing. And I sense that this coming year is going to hold some real surprises and some new ground gained in that area. It's going to be a a focus of more of my preaching in the coming year, this engagement with the world around us. It's something that's growing in my heart and spirit as well. And so I'm really grateful that that was our experience this year at Harvest Fest. So that's the year in review. And as we think back to the year so far, and it's not over, we still have three weeks left in which something amazing might still break out. I have no idea what God has in store for us. Next Sunday is Christmas Sunday, and then the last Sunday of the year, and I hope this doesn't scare anyone away from coming, but the last Sunday of the year is what we call Recommitment Sunday. Rather than just New Year's resolution about losing the spare tire, 
we set our hearts together as a church on things we want to recommit ourselves to. And we use that Sunday to call the whole church to rededicate our lives to our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a time when we gather together and say we want to give God our very best in the coming year and commit ourselves wholly to him. It's usually a a very, very positive experience for those who come. I hope every one of you will be a part of that. I want to pause for a moment then as we look back on the year, and I want to pray together and thank God for the year he's granted us so far. You know, one of the the, um, pitfalls of growing up and living in church world is we are very quick to spot the imperfections and often slow to acknowledge how great God has been in the church. I have ministered at hundreds of churches around the world now, and I can tell you our church is far from perfect, but it is a beautiful community. There is no church on the earth I love more than this church, and I believe that our church, our congregation, is a gift from God to each of us. Some of you who may not be feeling that acutely will look back one day and realize what a gift your time at this church was in your life. And I've shared that, that sentiment with many people whose jobs have taken them away to other cities, and they find, I still get Christmas cards from people 15 years after they moved away saying, man, we still remember the way God met us in our time at Harvest. And that doesn't inflate pride or anything like that. What it does for me is make me so thankful and aware what a gift this church in all its messy imperfection is to each of us. And maybe that's something you can relate to, something you can amen to, is that God has been exceedingly good to us through this church. I can also tell you, it could be a lot worse. (laughs) A lot of churches in serious trouble. And so I want to just thank God that he has preserved us from the worst of that and shown us so much favor. Can we just pause together for a couple minutes and give God thanks in your own voice, in your own way, for the gift of this church in your life? Let's pray. God, we pause together as a church, acknowledging our tendency to be quick to find fault and slow to give thanks. So we pause and give thanks to you. Thank you for the gift that this church is to us. Even at times when we feel disconnected and far from what's happening, Lord, we acknowledge that what this church represents is your desire to bless us and love us and reach us. Thank you for the opportunities you provide us in this church to express our faith in you, the way that we are bearing and carrying your image 
in our world through this church. Thank you for the many people you've put in our congregation who give sacrificially and serve diligently and fight each day to hang on to their faith in a world that does not help. We thank you most of all for Jesus, our Savior, and the hope he gives us, the courage and confidence he gives us in the face of a broken world and the unbearable shortness of this earthly life. Thank you for the hope which you bring to us through him. And it is in his name we pray. Amen. When I think about our church, most of the time I'm in a really good mood. And I just want to encourage you to be the kind of person who before you find the flaws, pauses to find the goodness of God. Because if you look for it, You'll find it in our church, in your family, in your children or your parents or your friends, your spouse. If you look for the goodness of God, you will find him if you look. He's there everywhere. He is touching your life. Having paused to give thanks to God for the goodness that he's given to our church, I also feel compelled to ring a bell of warning to us because the, the Bible is very clear that it is in times of blessing a special danger lurks in the background. The Bible has made it very clear. God has told us over and over through direct words and through examples and stories of real people that so often what we call blessing is more of a threat to our faith and joy than what we call hardship and suffering. It's so counterintuitive. I always want God to do good things to me, and I assume that if he does good things and gives me good things and my life is comfortable and pleasurable, that my soul will grow. What I find, however, through history and through my own life story is that quite the opposite is often true. That it is when I am blessed and provided for that something in my heart starts to fall asleep. It's interesting that hardship, suffering, persecution has done more over the course of history to grow the church of Jesus than times of plenty and prosperity. Does that strike you as weird? Because we never pray for persecution and suffering, but it is what causes Christ to rise so much in the world. You know, over the centuries that the United States has been a nation... As our prosperity and our safety has grown, what you see is the church steadily has been on a decline in our country. But in other parts of the world I've been to, parts of the Middle East, parts of Africa, parts of Asia, China especially, where it is much harder to follow Jesus, the church is experiencing a time of great revival and flourishing. People are willingly, joyfully giving their hearts over to Jesus, knowing it could cost them their lives. And I think that's an amazing thing. And God warns us that it is when we are blessed, while we should be properly thankful and enjoy the blessings, also to have one eye open as a rear guard, remembering that very often it is through blessing and prosperity that our faith dies the death of a thousand cuts. In Luke 12, Jesus tells this interesting story. He's teaching his disciples through a parable. 
And he tells him the story of a man who had an amazing harvest in a given year. I mean, he's used to bringing in crops. But this year, the ground spit up an abundant harvest. And he says to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my, my um, barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. And this is where the danger of blessing lies. It leads us to this posture. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. We should be thankful for prosperity and blessing. It is, in fact, a sign of God's favor to us most of the time. And I'm not saying we should have a a suspicious eye when good things happen to us, but what prosperity and blessing does for us when we are enjoying good times. And in case you're wondering why I'm connecting the State of the Union report with this, is I share what's happening at our church with my fellow pastors, my brother pastors, and they all just go, what are you guys doing over there? We don't have anything like that happening in our church. And they see what we take for granted here, and they think we are working miracles at this church. I mean, you know, when you think about the numbers alone, God is doing tremendous things at Harvest that far exceed the national averages and the experience of many of my brother pastors. And so they see that what we're experiencing is incredible success and blessing. But the problem with blessing is it very easily leads the human heart to a posture of self-reliance and self-indulgence. In other words, pride and passivity are often the result of blessing. What I mean by that is that often in blessing, we stop thanking God and start thanking ourselves. Man, you've really worked hard. Good for you, dude. I can't believe how, how much you hustled, and all of that hard work is paying off. And while we do thank God, there's a point at which we begin to realize, I did this. It's me. We worked hard. We gave. We did all this. And look at the thing we've made. And while there's some element of truth to the part we played, we got to be really careful in times of blessing not to stop thanking God for what he has done. Because he does the greater work. So when we stop thanking God, pride and self-reliance step in. And when we stop asking God why he's given us so much, passivity and self-indulgence start to sink in. Do you understand how that works? So when we stop thanking God, we start thanking ourselves. And when we stop asking God, why so much? Why do I have more crops than my barns can hold? God often gives the answer, it's because it's not all for you. I have plans to bleed you for the sake of others. Out of the excess of what you've been given, I want to bless others who have been given less. The lesson of Luke 12 is that when God is at work and doing great things, it is especially important that we guard our hearts. And that's true at an individual family level. It's also true at the level of our church. One of the things I found is that being a pretty good church is one of the greatest barriers to becoming a really great church. And what am I saying when I say really great? I don't mean I want us to become like 
80,000 people and have, I want to have national fame and tons of resources. By great church, I don't mean large church or famous church or powerful church or wealthy church. What I mean is when we're a pretty good church, it's often the greatest barrier to becoming the kind of church we all dream is possible in the world. What am I describing here? I'm talking about the kind of church that actually impacts the world we live in. I remember hearing this phrase way back in the early 90s and not making much of it, but it's kind of stuck with me. Somebody said, hey, if your church disappeared from the face of the earth tomorrow, who besides the people who go there would even notice? I'm like, mm-mm. Something there, right? If Harvest Community Church disbands and ceases to exist. Now, I think we're moving down that road towards a very good answer to that question. But the, the point of that is the church wasn't meant just to be a safe harbor for refugees in the midst of an unfriendly world. But we are the salt and light of the world. It is our calling and our privilege to enter the world and be the bearers of life and light and the love in the name of Jesus Christ. We want to be a church, a great church is one where we get our hands dirty in the muck and mire of this messy world where we don't just have conferences and talk about all the things that are happening, but we go to where the pain is. We engage the world where the hurting is actually happening. We don't just endlessly debate about where we stand theologically on this issue or that issue affecting our world, but we go right to the places where all the death is happening, all the pain is happening, all the injustice is happening, and we stand for Jesus in those places. That's, the, that's, to me, the definition of the great church. It's the church we all dream of being part of, is we're not just good for each other, we are good for our world. And if we disappear, the world suffers more for it because we are the hands and feet of Christ in our world. To me, a good church, a great church, is a church where lives are being marvelously transformed on a regular basis. And here's how that happens. People are having real, true encounters with the God that lives. We don't just show up to church and sing songs and listen to speeches and go home, life as usual, but it's a church where the presence of God is so heavy and thick in the place, it's impossible to fall asleep or zone out, not because the guy talking is so interesting, but because the presence of God is felt in the room. I've been in rooms like that, many of you have been in rooms like that, where it's impossible to feel numb inside because the The Spirit of God, living and active, is in that physical place. I don't know of any church that experiences that every every single time they get together, but it, it should happen more and more and more. That's the yearning of our hearts. I don't want to just go to church. I want to meet God. I want to sense that somehow I stepped into that place, and I entered the presence of a God who is not imaginary, who is not words and ideas. He's really living so that it's impossible to fall asleep. The preacher shouldn't have to use jokes to wake everybody up. The presence of God so heavy in that place. And I, I yearn for that. I especially, because it's a lot of pressure keeping everyone awake. I yearn. For the, a place where addictions are broken, where hopeless people walk in and are set free from bondage. 
where the demons and the sins that have beset us all our lives, that darkness in us that we hate, is finally laid on the floor. Someone takes it from us and gives us a new heart and a new nature. A church where people who are hopelessly sick, powerless, afraid, come and are healed because somebody prays in faith to the great healer. And sick people are made well. I want to be a part of a church that's like that, don't you? It's a church where in this world that is more and more fractured, where nobody feels they belong anywhere. I want our church to be a great church, a place where people find a real sense of belonging. A place called home. Because so many people today are surrounded by people and terribly, terribly alone and isolated. I want a church, a a dream of a church, where everyone, everyone is welcome here. I don't care if they stand for something you find reprehensible. That is a human being made in the image of God. The only defining label for anyone should be somebody who is made and loved by God and needs to find their way to Him. That is the only thing we should see in people. And I want our church to be the kind of church where everyone is welcome here with great love and warmth. No judgment. No prejudice. No side eye. Don't you want to be a part of a church like that? Who sees in every other human being the image of our God in them. And I want to be a part of a church where people stop sharing shallow things and dig below the surface. Go deep with each other. Trust each other with secrets. Say to each other, I'm afraid to let you know this, but I'm going to risk it. I want to be closer to you. I don't want to end up knowing someone for years and still feeling like they're a stranger. I want to build the kind of strong friendships that last for a lifetime, that carry us through the hardest times. We all want that, and most of us, if we're disillusioned with the churches because we yearn for it and didn't find it, but let's not let that yearning die. Don't give up and say shallow church is the only way that is realistic. It isn't. It is possible for us to experience deeper church, real community. We all want it. Should there be any real barrier to us having it here? If I polled every person here, everyone would say, I want deeper relationships. How could 300 people want the same thing? And ultimately not find it. It is the will of God, his desire to give us that. We can't let the hope in that die. Because every one of us wants the same things. It's easy. Well, I shouldn't say easy. It's not that difficult to build a good church. But it's very difficult to build a great church. Price tag between a good church and a price tag between a good church and a great church is vast. Churches like what we just described are not built casually. They don't just happen. They happen when people behold God, realize just how good He's been to us, and make a decision to respond to Him 
by giving him our very best. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Corinthian church, his first letter, he used an illustration of athletics to teach a lesson about spiritual life. In verse 24 of the ninth chapter, he writes these words. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So, I love the way he says it, run to win. Run to win. I've watched my children, all four of them, compete in athletics for most of their lives. And I'm struck by something. I'm struck by how rare that instinct is to run to win. I realize how commonplace it is to find people who are happy just to have made the team and are showing up, dialing it in, just enjoying themselves, but there isn't that, you know what we called in the 80s, the eye of the tiger. Like, they're not just there going, there's one kid always out there who's like, he's like on fire. He's hungry. You see that one girl out there who's just like, I'm not going to just hang out. I'm sorry. That's not why I came out for this. There's a focus, an intensity that says they are not just running. They are running in this race in a manner as to win. Now, I will grant you that that impulse can come from a very unhealthy place too. Right? Can we agree on that? There's some people who are horrifically hyper-competitive and in a way that brings no glory to God. That's not what we're featuring here. But he's saying, if you're going to run, don't be a skipper. (laughs) You know, just, like, if you're going to run, run like maybe there's an actual race happening. And if you're going to spend the energy, go all out. He goes on to build on that illustration, says, when athletes train... The gist of what he's saying is the victory on the playing field is won on the training field. The people who don't practice hard, and one of my small group members always says, perfect practice makes perfect, right? Not practice makes perfect, perfect practice makes perfect. Those who excel in practice win in the game. We don't experience greatness at any level in any facet of life by phoning it in, being shallow, peripheral, casual. That never happens in any endeavor of life. You can enjoy an okay marriage, an okay family, an okay friendship, an okay career. We can experience an okay church by showing up, punching the card, doing our part. And that can last for years. And some people grow so content with that, they never believe anything more is possible. I don't think that's the spirit of God. That he gives us. In fact, Paul says to his spiritual son Timothy, the spirit of God fiercely alive in you is not one of fear and timidity. It's one of power. That's a spirit that doesn't run hoping not to be last, but a spirit that runs wanting to give the very best. When I was in track in junior high, my coach said to me, Lee, If you can breathe at the end of the race, you didn't run your hardest. I want you to black out after the race. I want you to need oxygen. If you got anything left, shame on you for not spending it out there where it counted. That stuck with me, man. 
I wish I could say I perfectly embodied that value. But the truth is, this world is full of people who just, you know, just want to be there. And I think the spirit of God is, if you're going to run, run with your best. Run like you mean it. Run like there's a race. And you want to win that race. I think it's something that is rising in me personally. I, I feel it. A resurgence of conviction and desire to bring my very best to God. You know, I thought for years I was giving my best, but in reflection recently, I realized I have been lulled into a kind of autopilot mode. And in the coming year, I sense that what God is doing in my spirit is he wants from me my very best. And rather than feeling heavy about that, there's this joy, this excitement, because I remember feeling that when I was a younger man. And it was life-giving. It was exciting. It brought something out of me that was good. And I feel that returning. And I sense that for a lot of you in this church, you're feeling that same rising in your spirit. I'm so tired of being apathetic, passive, on the outside looking in. I'm tired of just skipping around the field. I I feel it that many of you are with me in this. This rising of a yearning to give God the very best you have because you realize that he has given you his very best. See, I don't think this kind of impulse, this passion, to build the very greatest kind of church can be driven by a love for the church. Ultimately, it can only be driven by a love, a deep, deep love for the God of the church. I've seen churches, vast, amazing, complex churches built on the love of the church, but the love of the church is not enough. It is the love of God, the love for our Savior, Jesus, that drives the church. Some of us wonder, how is God good? Because when I look at my life, I don't see that goodness. I want to help you by reminding you how good God has been. And God walked me through this reflection this past week, and it really touched my heart. I hope it will touch yours, because I've been thinking about the ways that God is good, and I find too often that I decide the starting point. I pick something which is an unmet yearning, and I say, God, until that happens, you're not good. I decide the curve by which my God will be graded. And I don't think that's right. And I don't think it's possible to see in God who he really is if I decide his grading curve. So I just began at the very beginning. I don't know if you saw this one video that's making its way around Facebook by a church. I wanted to play it, but it felt like the wrong mood at this moment in the message. It starts with this dad who is covered in wrapping paper. He rips it off and goes, "I'm I'm still here. I'm alive. I'm breathing. And on and on it goes. He's just running around the house crazy, unwrapping all these gifts, which are just normal things like running water and the lights work. And he's got a job and a car. and It's hilarious, but it captures the spirit of what we're trying to say. We wonder, is God good? But something about that question, if it really is a question, means you're looking in the wrong places. 
The goodness of God is written everywhere in our lives. I woke up this morning breathing. If you've ever studied medicine or physiology, you know how many millions of things can go wrong in this complex machine called the human body. The fact that I woke up this morning breathing is the gift of God to me. It is to you. Those of us who have faced life-threatening illness, terminal conditions, people we've lost, that we love, we know that every day we draw breath is a gift. And if you understand it and see the goodness of God, it changes the way you spend that day. I don't think it's possible to sit in front of a screen for eight hours when you draw breath and realize what a gift each day of life actually is and how few of them you have at the end. This is the God who woke you up this morning with air in your lungs. He deposited his image in us. It says right at the beginning of the Bible that we were made in the image of God. Have you ever seen someone great and wished you could be more like them? In Jesus Christ, the perfect man, the image of God is perfectly embodied. And what God says to us in the start of his word is he put that image Deep in us, at the core of us, is embedded the nature and the DNA, the Spirit of God. There is a nobility that stirs and beats inside of you that explains why you care about people who are marginalized, why you have compassion, why you shed tears, why you love beauty, why you want to create art, why you love winning. All those things are pointers to the image of God he deposited in us. When you look at your sleeping child and you love them, not because of anything they did to deserve it, but because they are your kid, that is the image of God. He gave us that. God has been good. He has provided everything we need to be breathing today, to still be alive. And he's given us not just what we need, but he's granted us so much of what we want. He's given us freedom over our choices. That is a real freedom. He hasn't scripted our lives. He hasn't forced us into anything. He gives us real freedom knowing that he runs the risk of watching us use that freedom again and again to turn away from him and not towards him. And still, he does not restrain our freedom. Still, he sets us truly free. And when we fail and use that freedom to turn away, He is always patient and kind in responding to our failure. Paul writes in his letter to the Romans that it is the kindness of God, his patience for us, that woos us towards repentance. He forgives again and again and again. And when I am too ashamed and tired of apologizing, still he forgives. That is our God. That is not an entitlement. It is his gift to us. Has God been good to you? You still stand in front of him because he's willing to let you. He opens the door to his presence and says to you, it does not matter what you have done. There's nothing I cannot forgive. I release you from everything for which you repent. And some of us right now, I know this is happening in your life. He stirs in us a calling towards a life that is significant, a life 
that means something, that makes a difference. Some of you are feeling that stirring right now in midlife. It is growing stronger by the day. And a fear of uncertainty, the sense of responsibility to care for your loved ones is holding you back. But you feel that calling, that stirring that says, God wants to give you a story worth living. He wants to give you the gift of an extraordinary life spent doing extraordinarily meaningful things. You feel that right now. That is from Him. You are not the person who was born caring about great things. I am not. You are not. But God does. And He calls to that image of Himself in us. And He is awakening in so many of us an inkling that we were made for more than we're living for. And I believe in 2019, we're going to hear some earth-shattering testimonies of people who sensed the call of God on their lives and took a courageous step of faith to answer that call. I feel, I'm convinced those testimonies are coming in the next year. And some of you who are in that place know that I'm talking about you. Has God been good to us? Even if you take all those things off the table, which he hasn't given yet, he is so good to us. The picture on these slides comes from my favorite movie, Chariots of Fire. Good Lord, I love that movie. It tells a story of an Olympic runner from Scotland, a missionary to China named Eric Little. It's not a fictional story. It's a real story of a real man who loved God really deeply. And he gave himself fully to a God he loved. And after winning a pivotal race, he says these words. You came to see a race today, to see someone win. It happened to be me. But I want you to do more than just watch a race. I want you to take part in it. I want to compare faith to running in a race. It's hard. It requires concentration of will, energy of soul. I have no formula for winning the race. Everyone runs in her own way or his own way. And where does the power come from to see the race to its end? From within. Jesus said, Behold, the kingdom of God is within you. If with all your hearts you truly seek me, you shall ever surely find me. If you commit yourself to the love of Christ, then that is how you run a straight race. If we pause to look, we will find that we follow a God who gave his very best. And his invitation to us this year, his joyful invitation, is to commit ourselves to give our very best in response. I'm excited about what he's doing in me. I'm excited about what he's doing in you. And I want to invite us to just bow our heads now. And wherever this message has found you this morning spiritually, I'm going to invite you to respond. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.